My name is Maria Kent Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. Tonight, we are so excited to have Carol joining us. Carol is going to bravely share the story of her father's journey with FTD. Your father's name is Hector, but I want you to say it in the beautiful way that you say it. Um, His name in Portuguese is Heitor. As a listener of the podcast, you know that we just jump right into the story. So what were those first things that you noticed that made you think, wait a minute, something's not quite right with my dad? Sure. So first, thank you for having me here and thank you for keeping the memory of my dad alive uh, through this podcast. Um, This was around 2007. My dad was 54 years old at the time. Uh, We had gone through a lot of uh, stressful moments in our family. Uh, financial situations and things that probably make people really stressed and um, we started to notice that he was starting to lose some words and couldn't understand some things that we were talking to him Um, looking back would be even silly but we laugh about we're like what is happening that you don't know this word anymore Mm -hmm. Um, we couldn't know and we thought it would be stress so we took the journey during two years of tests and trying to understand and thank goodness I have a sister younger than me that is a doctor, and she was able to connect us with a neurologist in Brazil that mm-hmm. studied more this disease, and uh, she started to do all the exams in my daddy. And two years later, he was finally diagnosed with primary progressive aphasia, the semantic variant. What was it like when you guys got the diagnosis? Were you relieved that you had you know, a name to what was going on? was good to understand what had happened because probably you heard before, we, a lot of families go to Alzheimer or early onset mm-hmm. of Alzheimer when you think through like he's not understanding things or missing words. So finally we had something, but uh, especially being in Brazil, we don't have a lot of these cases out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know at all anything about the disease. So it was scary because we didn't know what mm-hmm. to expect next. What would be treatments? Um, he took some medicines to try to, I think, like to not accelerate the disease. Mm-hmm. We put him in a lot of uh, phonology and understanding how to think through the words. But we didn't have access to a lot of the information that we have here in the U.S. Is there any sort of equivalent to the Association for FTD in Brazil or... Uh, at the time, um, when I started to get together and, and learn more about it, um, the Association for Frontotemporal Degeneration here, uh, in Brazil, we didn't have anything because I tried to find something similar for my mom to be okay. able to connect and understand more as the primary caregiver. Um, and there was nothing available. It was more related to Alzheimer's dementia in general, but not a specific like we have it here. 
And when you were receiving this diagnosis, I know you were planning to move to the U.S. Can you tell us about that time in your life and what that was like for you juggling all of this? Yeah, so for me, it's hard when you are, I was 27 years old. I just had got married in the year that he started to miss some of the words and um, show some of the features of the disease. And we decided to continue the plan, especially not knowing what he had. Um, I moved here in 2008, before even the final diagnosis, while he was in the process to get uh, understanding what that was. But I was always connected with my sister and trying to understand how I could help. In um, hindsight, I think it was actually really important for me to come in here because one, I went to study, um, I got my MBA, then I went to live in Philadelphia where I was so close to the AFTD. You know, I was able to meet uh, the amazing people and supporters out there. I was able to go to conferences and get so much more knowledge to my family uh, to understand how to think through. I participated in uh, support groups for kids of parents with earlier onset of dementia. And all the learning that I got here because we had so much robust knowledge, I was able to bring back home and mm -hmm. help my mom and my sister with more of the knowledge side. While my sister helped my mom more of the medicine or the you know the disease side mm -hmm. um so i think we even though i couldn't be as much present to him there that is kind of a hard conversation for me i could at least provide knowledge and engagement mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. to make us smarter about how to deal with that mm -hmm. right that's huge that's huge yeah so i have to know so many of her interviews and our own experiences you know, you receive the diagnosis and the doctor says, there's nothing we can do. You know, your loved one is going to die in seven to 10 years, essentially something like that. Is it a similar experience that your family had in Brazil or were the doctors trying to provide any more support? We, at the time, we didn't get the years or like the expectancy of life with um, FTD. I remember the first time I got the around average of eight years was when I went to the first conference in Philadelphia for FTD and people were talking about how long the average person uh, with after diagnosis would live. And I kept talking more about that with my mom and my sister and reading books and trying to understand. My dad uh, lived um, from 2000 seven that he started with until 2021 so 14 years pretty much so a way over the average time because he was really well taken care of and we tried to give him all the assistance that he needed uh, throughout all the time and his body was really strong he was a marathonist before so mm, he that's right one of the last things that he stopped doing was he stopped to run so his heart and his mm. vitals were all the doctors would always say he's like a kid. He mm -hmm. didn't have his cognitive functioning well, mm -hmm. but his body was amazing, you know? So that kept him um, alive longer, even though he started to lose a lot of uh, the words, the faces mm -hmm. and the movement and all that. Mm -hmm. um, another question that comes to mind for me. I know he was diagnosed with PPA, but did he ever display any behavioral issues or symptoms or was he mostly um, docile? He was amazing patient throughout. Uh, he was a docile man 
when he was healthy and throughout all the disease. Um, my mom always says how all the caregivers that we had, we had 24 seven caregivers with him at the end and um, everybody always loved so much him. He was really easy in terms of like anything that you do to him. So extremely docile until the end of his life. And at what point did he lose his ability to communicate? For my mom, it was very, very quickly after diagnosis, but I know your dad had the disease for quite some time. Yeah, probably around seven years after diagnosis when he's, he stopped fully communicating. My dad was something interesting um, because he had some small words in one song that he kept repeating for a long time. So when he stopped talking to us, when he stopped knowing who we were in terms of names and pretty much our faces, he still keeps singing and repeating one song that actually has weird words in Portuguese and we'd never heard before. And then he would always repeat one word over and over and over and over again. And that was the last two things that he lost. Um, we would make fun, we made videos, fun in terms of like, was caring, was our moment of connection yeah. with him. We would even sing with him just to make sure that we were able to connect. Um, and it was the last things that he lost. So between seven years, he stopped talking to us, but maybe one more year or so, he, he kept going for these two things only. What was I have the to word? know Did what they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah what was the word? So the word was Linda, that means beautiful, but he would keep repeating that over and over and over again. Oh my goodness. Can you quickly tell us who's in your family? So you have dad and mom, and then how many siblings do you have? Just one sister. Just the younger sister. Yes, two years younger than me, yes. So before you guys were able to, before your sister said, you know, let's bring him into the neurologist, what did you think it was? Stress? I thought it was stress because it was a big deal in our family, all the situation that we went through. And in my mind, not knowing anything was pure stress. It was like he was confused. He just need therapy, mm-hmm. um, you know, to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought he would be sick. Um, especially for rare diseases like that. And I never thought he would go so early from us. Um, so it was kind of a shock. My dad, for me, um, was my, like, we were super close. You know, he was my best friend. Um, the letter that I have that he had to read later is about he writing for me about the meaning of myself in his life. So I never would imagine that he would go and I think for me it was extremely hard especially in the sense of uh, being far from him so I couldn't see all the shifts and I think I grieve different than a lot of people um, because my mom my sister were there frequently I grieved Mm -hmm. in every moment that um, he stopped uh, talking and then he stopped Mm -hmm. knowing who I was and then I got pregnant he couldn't ever imagine his grandkids and know that they were his grandkids that he always wanted to be a grandfather Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, every single moment of a change was a big time in a grief moment mm-hmm. where I didn't even want almost to get so close mm-hmm. to not suffer more. But after I kind of regret, um, big mm-hmm. time. Um, but for me, it was really hard to see him going mm-hmm. while he's still around us. So when was the last time you saw him? 
I was thankful and grateful that I was able to go last November. Okay. So in the midst of COVID, my sister once called me. It was almost three years that I haven't been back home. And she called me to say, like, you should come home. That is not doing okay. That is probably is your chance. And was the night of Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. So I dropped everything here and I, I drove down south to Miami and got a, a flight and went through to Brazil. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Amazing the sense it was me, my sister, my mom only and him. No, my kids, no distractions. And we were like, was a mix of laughing, crying, talking memories, making plans after, making sure he was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I was trying to make him, they giving him food that he would like to eat when he was good. Of course, he, he can taste or even eat. But mm-hmm. I was trying to make like special. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really, really important for our family as our closure. And I feel really happy that I was able to be there. Beautiful. I'm glad you were too. Especially during these times, I imagine that was very complicated trying to get there and get back. And I'm so glad you were able to do that. I have a question because I feel like a lot of what you're saying is it kind of mirrors what I was going through. Like my dad was not at my wedding because he was sick and he didn't, I don't know what he knew anymore when my kids were born. Um, But what was it like becoming a mom when you were losing your dad? Is is a really interesting question um, for me because I knew he was progressing his disease first. And when I started to try to get pregnant, um, I don't know, that thing about like, I want to get pregnant and have the baby so my dad can still see something. Of course, life doesn't work in the way we want. So it took me and my husband two years to be able to get pregnant and through treatments and all those things. And so when I finally got pregnant, um, my dad already didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was uh, maybe three, four months pregnant, I have pictures from like that I made with him holding my belly mm-hmm. and being close to me, even though he didn't understand what was happening. For me, I have that memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was really hard because even in my marriage um, year, when I got married, I have a letter from him saying, I can't wait to be a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew when we always said like, wow, one day I'm going to go to Disney with my grandkids while your mom mm-hmm. goes shopping. He would be the grandfather that is present while my mom is spending the money. Um, <laughs> and we knew this dynamic would like is what we always joked around in our family is what it would be. So for me, it was extremely hard to not have him around and my kids not knowing mm-hmm. my dad as the dad he was. Mm-hmm. He saw my kids twice. Um, mm-hmm. I took them to Brazil when they were one year old mm-hmm. and um, they were able to like be close to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took them when they were three, but my dad was already looking more sick mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't talk, so he would just scream when he had something or pain. And mm-hmm. the kids got really scared, and they mm-hmm. ran away. And my mom and I cried, and w- was just like they were so scared about the situation. They were so little, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was really tough. And I, probably that is why it took me so long to try to come back, mm-hmm. um, because uh, it was a hard experience. But I think what I do is I leave a lot the things that he did to me. So mm-hmm. he would. For example, every night he would, when I was little, he would lay down in the floor between me and my sister and hold both hands and read a book or pray. And up to now, I 
lay down with my boys every night in the middle of them. And I tell them, like, my dad will do the same for me. Mm. Um, and I try to do the things to build the memory in the way that he did for me and my sister. Makes sense? Like, to yeah. try to keep this alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I try to keep the stories of, like, how my dad was before so they can remember him or know him a little bit and show pictures and tell mm-hmm. stories. But it's hard. You wanted your dad close to you. Boys to play ball and you right. know the silly things that you know they would have a connection mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that um, it's hard. Yeah. What do you think is the hardest part of of FTD specifically and and the diagnosis? Like, what would you want people to know about how difficult this journey is? I would like to have known and other people to know, like, to really value the moments you have why the person still remembers you and knows who you are goes so quickly. Mm-hmm. I wish my dad had a conscious of what would happen to him. And I don't think he had. Mm-hmm. I think like if he was able to know, maybe we would have done more things together, more letters and more mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know what is coming. So I, I wish people knows that, like value every moment, uh, in little silly calls that you are even not wanting to talk to your dad because you're tired at the end of the day mm-hmm. just value the little things because mm-hmm. goes away mm-hmm. uh he would like in my case he would expect my call every night from here mm-hmm. and he would be holding his phone waiting for me to call and my mom would sometimes text him saying like are you not calling today your dad is here waiting mm-hmm. and i'm tired i work it and i going to school so um i called and he just said like hey daughter how are you and that was all that he wanted to hear that I'm fine um and I wish I didn't like was tired some days and that I was like really valuing that little connections that I was able to have I don't know that everybody especially the sick person but also the family knows um how to value all these moments ahead of time mm-hmm. yeah it's funny that you talk about the screaming because my dad would do the same thing and my boys would be like uh, you're not allowed to scream. We're indoors. You have to use your inside voice. I'm like, well, <laughs> there's an exception here. Okay. Like, <laughs> I, what do I say? Like, okay. Yeah. I, so then there was one visit where we all just screamed together. Like my dad would kind of yell out and I'm like, you guys could do it back if you want. And of course they loved it. But then when they left, they were like, but he didn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, that's sort of what's happening. It's hard for us to digest what's happening. It's like totally. 10 times harder than to try and explain it to a child, you know? Yeah. It just feels so unnatural to mm-hmm. see, you know, 50 something year old, you know, supposed to be a young uh energetic grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, is in a wheelchair and can't communicate, you know? It's not fair. That is is really true. I did a lot of FaceTime throughout these years and I would show my dad to them and they would always ask the questions about like why they have this person in white with him all the time, the caregivers or they would would ask him like, but can he bathe himself? And you know, like they are super curious about trying to understand when Mm -hmm. you just see him sitting at the same chair in every call. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to explain without giving a lot out, mm-hmm. you know, and my dad looked like really young. He never had like white hair. I have more white hair than my dad ever had. Um, and he looked like young. So that is also tough, you know? Mm-hmm. When you got the news that he either passed away or was really close, what, what was that? like for you where you you didn't go back to brazil right no. that was it okay so um i was in a, a small social allowed covid birthday party with a couple mm-hmm. friends my sister calls me and she starts to cry um mm-hmm. and she's like mom is calling me that is not doing okay it has been two days that he doesn't need anything mm-hmm. i think he's coming mm-hmm. and she was like i don't know what to do they live in different cities in Brazil nowadays. So she's like, do I go there again and be there for her now or wait to something? Mm-hmm. So I left the party, start walking the street, just talking and crying for her, trying to understand what I should do, what she should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went to my mom's city with her husband um, and they stayed there, took three days from that call. Mm-hmm. And throughout this time, I was debating with my husband, um, I was thinking, should I go? But at this point, I will need a PCR test to get to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, I will not get it at all in time there for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was really strong about your dad would not like you to leave everything mm-hmm. behind, your kids. COVID in Brazil is crazy. You came in November. You did your thing. We are going to celebrate his life together when you can mm-hmm. come to home. Mm-hmm. So was I? I was online actually we had a camera he he passed at home so we were all together actually i was with them the whole time even mm-hmm. though i was not physically there mm-hmm. um, and that was extremely tough yeah. sure to not hug them so yeah um but at least i felt that i was present in the way that i could in this weird situation that we live in right now mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right yeah, to pass away in the time of COVID is the hoops you have to go through. Like when my dad was in the facility, I got the call like he's not going to make it. And I was like, so do I come? Like, am I allowed to come inside? And I had to be fully dressed. And I don't know if he knew like it was it's too much. It It was not normal to sit beside somebody that was passing away in a full hazmat suit. Yeah, he so. was home, so it was different for my mom and my sister and mm-hmm. the doctors there. Um, but even though it's hard, it's hard to, uh, like, yeah. to do anything. Right. And you also don't have that normal comfort from friends and family, too. Like, even though you're in the States and, you know, you can't be home with your family in Brazil, like, you know, in normal times, you'd have a lot of friends coming, gathering around you, helping with your kids. You'd have more time and, I don't know, just more support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that to be really difficult while grieving in this time. It's like, I just want to run to my friends and grab them and drink wine too late in the night and cry mm-hmm. together. And you can't. And it's hard. Yeah, the night he passed, I drink, he loved red wine and he loved Madonna. So fun fact, my first concert, I was 13 years old and I, I went to see Madonna in Brazil. And it was because he, he, my dad, loved her. 
Oh my god. <laughs> he would buy all the CDs, uh, he would knew all the songs and I remember my mom being like like crazy about that because I was so young to go see Madonna with that weird clothes and <laughs> what kind of uh, things that he was teaching us. And it was a, it's one of my fond memories of my dad. He was like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the night that he passed, my husband and I were playing cards. I was drinking red wine and listening Madonna. And that was mm-hmm. my way to mm-hmm. kind of like do the things I know my dad would like. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm celebrated him with the things that he taught me mm-hmm. um yeah. and it was really actually special it's just me and him even though far mm-hmm. away um we sang and we talked stories about my dad and mm-hmm. was was in our little bubble here was the way that i could do mm-hmm. yeah. griefing him so yeah i would love a wine night with madonna and my husband <laughs> Or just Madonna at this point, honestly. <laughs> I've been with my husband straight for a year, my poor husband. Um, I have one more question about like the sad stuff, and then we'll jump into a little bit more upbeat. I know because I talk to Maria every day, but being a mom of young children and trying to navigate all of the different feelings of grief has been a challenge for both of us and for different reasons. And I'm one month ahead of where Maria is, but I'm wondering for you, what's the hardest part? Trying to be a mom, trying to grieve, trying to, you know, hold on to your kids like your dad would hold on to you and value that. Like what, where do you find yourself? I think for me, um, I don't know if it's the hardest, but it's finding the time that I can be just myself. And that I can go through the pictures, that I can go through my letters, that I can yeah. sit in the corner of my closet in the floor so nobody can find me and I can cry. Um, because you were right, we don't have the time between working, taking care of the house, putting kids on bed. Like has been a month just this week that he passed. And I was talking to my mom and it, it, it's just like your life keeps going and you don't have the time to process feelings. I, I do counseling. I have been going to counseling for years because of that is one of the main reasons. So I use my Tuesday's virtual counseling session to really try to organize all the things and feelings that I'm going through. Maria um, and I are like hard <laughs> nodding and smirking. We're not yeah. laughing at you. Well, We're I'm like, laughing because we just, we just recorded an episode where I said the exact same thing that I've been reserving all my tears for my therapist <laughs> on Mondays at 2 p.m. <laughs> so solidarity, my friend. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is what I do. I is my Tuesday, 5 30 p.m. Yep. <laughs> is the time that I have my call to her and then I, I process and I go through. I also think uh for me in terms of the grief is also how far away I can be a support for my mom. Because she was still present every day doing things for him. And I will tell you, my mom is kind of a hero. You know, for me, in the way that she loved him unconditionally, unconditionally for all these years, taking care, never wanted to take him far from her, cooking his food throughout all the time, making sure he had everything. Mm-hmm. And now the way she talks and the way that I try to understand and support her is she lost her husband, but she also lost like all the routine and the reason that mm-hmm. she was there living to, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm is almost like a new life for her also. Mm-hmm. And I think having the sympathy and understand what she's going through is extremely important, you mm-hmm. know, as mm-hmm. well. So 
also trying to be a daughter on top of a mother, a working mother, a wife, griefing myself, supporting the mom is, is sometimes can be a lot. Um, but I'm super proud of how she handled and is handling all the situation. Um, I hope she can understand English so she can see me saying that for her. <laughs> you could say it in Portuguese if you want. Yeah, say we'll it. We'll put it in there for you. <laughs> Mãe, eu tô muito orgulhosa de você. Beautiful. That's so sweet. So as Rachel said, we should we can move into the happy part. I'm so excited to learn more about who your dad was before FTD. So can you share with us a little bit about what he was like, what he did for a living, all that? Sure. So my dad was an economist, but he worked in a lot of different companies, more in administration, business administration way. He was a young spirit, uh, extremely friendly. Um, I think he was living always in the present and trying to be a good friend for me and my sister. But not only the friend that would play with us, but um, he was really strong in terms of his school and education that you need to do things to be like, if you want to do, you can do whatever you want, but you need to be good. You need mm -hmm. to go to good schools, you need to study. So he was really strong on that. And I always say that I'm here today where like in US after doing my MBA and doing the things because he pushed me to the limits that he knew I could get. Um, so he had this really nice balance. You know, he was a guy that uh, I took him to run and I gave up after maybe <laughs> three months. I hated the waking up early to try to run. I thought it was really boring and he kept going. He, I have pictures of all his medals and all the runs that he did in marathons. Wow. Um, and I think he was just this like young spirit. You know, my friends all know and knew him. When he passed, all the calls I got telling about the food he would cook and um, how they would remember him, it's just like really special. So he was, I would tell you, a hard worker man, um, a super present dad uh, that focusing, uh, studying and um, pushing the daughters to really do well, mm -hmm. um, while really creating a lot of the memories I have from my teenagers and my childhood is a lot of the things that he did. That's beautiful. That's a really sweet way to remember your dad. He sounds like dad a great dad. Just like, oh, right here. The dad ones. I just, I so much. Oh. I know. But I also feel like they're emotional for me too because I've become so much closer to my dad yeah. through this whole thing. And like I resonate so much with what you're saying about your mom and the way she loved your dad and cared for him. Like, I just feel like I just witnessed the most amazing love story watching my dad care for my mom. And I feel very, very grateful for that. Can you tell us before we move on of like before the letter and all the tears come, what was his childhood like? Do you know anything about when he was a boy? Uh, he was the youngest of four. Uh, he had three older uh, sisters, so he was the only boy. I have a lot of these stories from him, from what my grandmother would tell us. And mm -hmm. so I grew up to like, imagine this little boy doing a lot of crazy stuff. Um, he was really lovely with little mm -hmm. animals and um, taking care of everyone around since he, mm -hmm. a young age. He grew up in the south of Brazil in a much smaller city than Sao Paulo. And he spent all his like, childhood there um i know he was like a really special kid to my grandmother and my grandfather um 
they passed much before my daddy was even diagnosed. So they don't know, like, or couldn't know anything mm -hmm. that was happening. So he had a really beautiful family until the end. Um, that's what I kind of know. And I know stories of little things that boys do here and there. <laughs> um, almost putting fire in the house that was all wood and, you know, uh, and my, my all grandmother. All the fun stuff. All, all the funny stuff that she would always share with me and my sister. And that kept it for me. I really remember she telling me all these stories about him. Could you share with us how your parents met? I always love to hear a good love story. Ooh, I hope I get that one right or my mom is going <laughs> to get mad. <laughs> um, but if I don't mistake, they were—they are the same age. So they were in, in the same city in a school that was just for boys for him and then a school mm -hmm. that was just for girls for her. And they were like, always sometimes they would go out in the different groups of girls and boys but the same age the same places and that is how they started to to they met and they started to go out together um oh. so yeah they were from the same year um he's from march my mom is from december um yeah so that is kind of how they met uh, and were they young like yeah they got married uh they were around 24 so they were young when they started to date 21 but it was not the, how is the name here? The sweethearting. Um, oh, before, yeah. Uh, high school oh, okay. sweethearts. It was yes. not the first uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, but they were like really um, cute together. I love it. I think for me, the most imp important piece is um, the presence that I, he has in my life for everything uh, to now, pushing me to, to study hard, pushing me to be good but always having the right conversations and being honest with and transparent with people. So I think I care a lot of his, what he taught me throughout my life uh, in everything I do. I work at home with my kids. I can see him and I hope I can see a lot of him through my kids. People say that I'm going to see him through my kids and um, I hope that can come to life. You know, the, one of my found memories in the last month was when they was crying and one of my twin boys, he came to me and said, Mom, I know you're so sad that your dad passed, but now I'm here to take care of you. And um, oh. I couldn't even like, you know, when he said that, he hugged me. And then the next day, he, he woke up me and kissed me and kissed me and said, I love you. I'm like, oh, my God, you're so sweet. And he said, I told you, I'm here to take care of you now. And um, I think it's just that I want to raise good kids, good men. Mm -hmm you know uh to continue uh just like your dad yes, yeah to bring his smile to people around them mm -hmm. beautiful oh wait one more question and then the reading how would your dad want to be remembered as one of the best fathers <laughs> he was all in for his two daughters uh mm -hmm. i actually even texted my sister to ask this question to her mm -hmm. uh and she said the same thing like he mm -hmm. was present he was fully engaged and he was um a full dad on mm -hmm. um, for us i think that it was his mission <laughs> it sounds like mission accomplished yeah. I, I don't know if he's a question but one thing one of my dad's dream that he couldn't realize was to run a New York marathon mm -hmm. um, so I told you that I'm not a runner and I never like it but my sister and I back in November when he was still alive we made a pact mm -hmm. that we are going to run the New York marathon in his memory uh, in 2023 that is when he would be 70 years old so wow. I'm putting that in record <laughs> yes we're keeping this in 
<laughs> uh, my sister and I were like, we need to start to run at least one mile per day to see if we can get there. But um, yeah. uh, it's something I tried to bring him here to run. Uh, the, the, I couldn't make him run a half marathon in Philadelphia when I was still there, but full of like names and phone numbers if he get lost and all these kind of weird things because mm-hmm. we were so worried about him get lost in a different language especially right right um, but he could never make he never made to new york marathon mm-hmm. so that is my mission and my sister now um we should mm-hmm. make one in his name i love well, I, that i guess we're going to new york in uh, 2023 maria yeah we're gonna come him. cheer you on <laughs> can't wait <laughs> that's awesome mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like your dad and my dad were very similar. So I'm very anxious to hear this letter. I don't have Kleenex though. I'll use my sleeve. So if you (laughs) don't mind, would you share something that he wrote? Sure. Um, I will preface before I read that I had to use Google Translate because it's in Portuguese and I try to find the right match of words. Um, Just to understand where I was, I was 14 years old and I was in a young Christian group, like when you spend the whole three days. In the last day of the three days, um, the parents could come and join you for the final mm-hmm. celebration. And in that day, he gave me this letter that I kept with me all these years. So the letter says, Dear daughter, today I can't pass the opportunity to write to you. For sure, this is going to be one of the most important and happy days of your life because surely you will find your greatest friend, your eternal friend. For this reason is that the opportunity can pass. It is the right time for me to try to tell you, my daughter, everything you you represent to me. Your story started long before you existed. It certainly started when I understood my own existence when I realized that one person's life only makes sense when it gives life to another person. At that moment, you started to be planted in my mind. From then on, I started to imagine how good it would be to be a father, to be able to live through a little person. For a long time, I called you that little person. Everything that inside me was planned. One day, I met your mother, and my dream started to take shape because there was already the other parts necessary for you to exist. For a long time after our wedding, you populated my dreams. I always asked God in my prayers that when the time had come for him to enlighten us, you were waited for with love and finally you arrived, crowning the way to the greatest accomplishment that anyone can have in life. God gave us you, dear daughter. In the moment I was able to admire your features for the first time, the emotion took over me. I couldn't control myself, and I cried, thanking the Creator for the grace of having created you. This gift is eternal. So, daughter, understand that always, at all times of your life, I will be by your side, praying to God that He pour out all your graces, that they winter and remain always in your heart, illuminating your ways. Carol, that on this day of reflection, you can understand and believe that our faith in Jesus Christ is easily explained. Just look in the mirror to know we own our existence to him. Daughter, would also like to say that despite our fights, I admire and respect you very much for your balance, intelligence, effort, education, and commitment. May God enlighten and bless you today and forever. I love you so much. So lucky I 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast, or you can visit our website, RememberMeFTD.com. This podcast is produced by Rachel Martinez and Maria Kent Beers, and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent. Nesse, nesse dia tão especial do aniversário do pai, eu faço essa homenagem em que esse podcast gravado, ah, relembrando a vida dele e tudo que ele deixou nos nossos corações. Mãe, esse é para você também, pela sua história de vida e pelo amor incondicional que você sempre deu a ele. Eu te amo demais pela sua jornada. Um beijo.